Hey guys, welcome back to another Topics with Tim podcast. Thank you for joining me once again. And we are getting right back into Harry Potter pages. Let's see, pages. Oh gosh. Pages five and six. Do that again. Hey guys, welcome back to another Topics with Tim podcast. Thank you again for joining me. And we are getting right back into it with Harry Potter, pages five and six. Harry Potter fans, I have some fantastic news for you that I'm going to be sharing here pretty soon that I had no idea was a thing. And I feel kind of dumb because with how popular Harry Potter is, I'm not all, I'm not surprised at all to learn about what I'm going to tell you. And I feel that I, why wouldn't I have already thought this was a thing? But anyway, for whatever reason, I didn't know. And now I do. And now I'm pumped. I know you guys are like, what is he talking about? You have no idea what I'm talking about. But that's why you're going to find out here pretty soon. But before I get into that, just want to say, first off, make sure to subscribe to my podcast. It's on any smartphone device anywhere. And please leave a review. That really helps my podcast grow. And also, don't be afraid to share with your friends and family. If you have any friends who are interested in any of my my podcast material that I posted, I do mental health, sports, health, fitness, nutrition, Harry Potter, finance, all sorts of stuff. I got more great content coming for you next week, including if uh, you want to get better sleep, you better listen on Monday to my podcast on how to improve your sleep if you're struggling there. All right, I'm ready. Let's get into it. Harry Potter, pages five and six. So where do we leave off on page four? We left off, Mr. Dursley is freaking out because he hears a bunch of people dressed in weird clothes talking about Harry, who is his nephew, and he's a little freaked out. But like Mr. Dursley likes to do, he kind of likes to convince himself of things to, you know, that there's nothing wrong. So he starts page five by thinking, oh, well, maybe it wasn't, maybe, uh, you know, gosh, could Harry have really been the name of my nephew? Shoot, maybe his name was Harvey. Maybe his name was Harold. So good old Dursley is, again, just avoiding the truth and blinding himself to it so he can kind of go about his day and feel good. But as you'll see here as you're reading, it doesn't work out too well. So obviously he knows about Mrs. Dursley, and he knows it's mentioned, it's mentioned here that she gets really upset anytime her sister is mentioned, Lily Potter, Harry's sister, and I have a little bit of history for you on why that is. So as we know, Petunia is the sister of Lily Potter, who is Harry's mother. Now, the two of them were like any other two sisters. However, obviously, Lily was gifted with magical abilities, which her parents, which are Mr. and Mrs. Evans, are, her, are their parents, obviously really... They praised her a lot for her magical abilities. And so we think that Petunia grew quite jealous of this, of the attention that Lily would get because she could do all these crazy things with her magic, which was awesome. So what I didn't know, what was really cool and interesting to find out is when Lily received her letter from Hogwarts confirming that she was in fact a witch and could study at Hogwarts, good old Aunt Petunia actually wrote to Albus Dumbledore asking if she could also study there too. But of course, Dumbledore responded saying that she could not because she was not 
a witch. He was not magical. And although he, I'm sure, was nice about it because we know Dumbledore. He's a sweetheart. Obviously, Petunia, that would hurt to know that you can't go and join your sister. And that from that point on, we see Aunt Petunia's attitude towards magic change where she kind of is so hurt by this that she, you know, does, does away with it, calls Lily a freak and continues on with her life. Now, some other now I'm getting all this from Harry Potter fandom, by the way. So, and we'll, I'll get more into more about Harry Potter fan fiction in a little bit. So, another thing that was really interesting that I learned, I had no idea, and according obviously this is not JK Rowling here. We're going off of sort of a big conglomerate of fans have kind of chosen to make this their own version of canon. So I'm just kind of, I'm kind of rolling with it because I think it's pretty good. So if it turns out that we actually had a meeting in the past between Petunia and Vernon and James and Lily Potter, which would, it would be very interesting if JK had written about this. And even before then, Petunia actually married Vernon without telling him that she had a sister who was a witch and she eventually did tell him. And of course, Vernon, you know, decided that it wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna hold it against her. He would stay with her. They stayed together. Now, apparently they met and it went very poorly because Vernon and James Potter, I'm sure probably were disagreed on everything underneath the sun. (laughs) And the same with Lily and Petunia. And obviously there's a big disconnect between the wizarding world and the non-wizarding world. For example, it says here that James told Vernon about his parents' fortune in uh, Galileans or Galleons. I forget how it's pronounced actually. But obviously that's a that's a term from Harry Potter describing their money. And Vernon didn't has no idea what that's talking about because he's obviously, you know, the pound is his way of doing money. He has no idea about the wizarding world. And it says the evening ended and they stormed out and Lily wasn't here. So their, their meeting did not go well. Not surprisingly. In fact, it even got worse. They actually invited James and Lily to their wedding. However, Ampetunia did not want Lily as her bridesmaid, which you'd think, I mean, if you're her sister, it's kind of a given, but that was not to be the case. And then since that point, Petunia had little contact with her sister they actually, her and Vernon chose not to attend Lily and James' wedding later. And apparently the last real piece of mail that Lily sent to Petunia and Vernon was actually the announcement of Harry's birth on July 31st, 1980. So they were told that they had a son and they were told that son is Harry, which is a fact that obviously Vernon is trying to pretend did not exist at that point. Now, obviously, and we'll get into this more in future pods, I think, because I think it's it's too early to get into it, but I'll definitely get into Aunt Petunia and how she's actually a pretty vital character in this, and we'll learn more about that as we learn about sort of the blood protection that she gave Harry kind of only because she was a blood relative of someone who sacrificed their life out of pure love for somebody else creates a an opportunity for a certain spell to be cast. It's a bit of ancient magic. And because this act took place 
Lily's sacrificing herself for Harry out of pure love. It sort of cast this ancient protection around Harry that then Dumbledore was able to cast a spell, sort of a, a charm, an enchantment that was then fully inseminated, fully you know activated when Petunia took Harry in as her own and let Perry live at her house. And that allowed this blood protection, this ancient magic to continue to protect Harry all throughout his time. You know, as long as he called the Dursley's house home, even though he was only there for the summers, he still was given this protection based on this, this blood, this enchantment. So obviously she becomes very important because had she not taken him in, then that magic and that spell by Dumbledore would have been null and void and Harry Potter could have been tracked down a lot easier and potentially killed by Voldemort a lot sooner. But because she did this and because she continued to let him live at the house and call it home, it extended that protection until later on when he is forced to leave or when I think it's 17 is the age where they kind of become adults in the wizarding world and he could have no longer called that place home. And so he would have obviously at that point from that point on not had that same level of protection. So, you know, Petunia obviously she gets a bad rap for kind of being a total biatch to be honest, but you know, she did let Harry stay there and she did feed him and she did, well, sometimes. And obviously without her, you know, Harry might not have survived all his years there without that extra level of protection. So thank you, Aunt Petunia, for at least doing that. And we still think that deep down, maybe there was love for Harry. Obviously, she just, she just had an odd way of showing it and she was just, you know, too hurt from things in her past with her and Lily to sort of admit that. But I think in the end, we can kind of see that she had to like him or love him at least somewhat because she was explained all this when Dumbledore, he leaves a letter on the door here, which we'll get into. He sort of explains that to her. So I won't go any more into that, but let's continue on with the story. So obviously he is working on his job. He's finding it hard to concentrate because he keeps thinking about how, man, you know, is this really my my nephew potentially? So he actually ran into someone, and it turns out to be a an old man. And the man was wearing a cloak, so we know he's probably a, a wizard at this point. Not he's not blending in with his muggle clothing because they're all excited. And so he says, you know, don't be sorry, for nothing could upset me today. Rejoice, for you know who has gone at last. Even muggles like yourself should be celebrating this happy day. So he's excited. Everyone in the Wizarding World is excited because we know what just took place. Voldemort was just, they think, destroyed completely by his spell rebounding off Harry. Again, that ancient protection that Lily provided when she sacrificed herself for him afforded that protection where Voldemort took the brunt of that curse. So all, everyone in the Wizarding World is pumped, excited. They don't even care. They're even wearing their cloaks and not really caring if they're found out, essentially. Now, Dursley, he's freaked out because, obviously, a complete stranger just hugged him and called him a muggle. So he was, quote, rattled. And I'm sure I would be, too, in that circumstance. So he continues on. He drives home, 
and he still spots that same tabby cat, which we know is Professor McGonagall, which we learned about a little bit about her history on one of the last pods, and how she is an animagus, so she can turn into a cat. And so she's still there. She was there earlier when he left for work. She's still there right now. Mr. Dursley wants her to leave bad. But before we go on to the next page, that was chapter, that was page five. I want to talk a little bit about the sort of, you know, I wanted to know where did the word, and this is what's what's super fascinating to me about language. And I'm, I'm some, something I love to do sometimes just for fun is I like to look up slang from other eras and just see what, you know, because the definitions of words change so often in our culture. And it's just funny to see what, you know, what was the word for cool back in the 70s? What was the word for dumb or mad, right? We all have these different ways we describe words and the definitions of words changed. And the word muggle is pretty much no exception. It has a ton of meetings that I found. It's used, you know, in informal English to describe a person with a lower IQ. Uh, it was described in the past as someone who uses marijuana, you, you were called a muggle if you used marijuana. There is definitions where, you know, a muggle is the name of a female character. Muggle, you know, one one book here that's, that was published in 1982, someone uses the word muggled while describing a good dream to the other main character, saying, you know, you muggled up. You know, muggle... Now, muggle was actually added to the official Oxford English Dictionary in 03, and it's said to refer to a person who is lacking in a skill. So kind of similar definition in a way to what it's used in Harry Potter, but a little bit different. I'm sure they altered that because Harry Potter has sort of altered the meaning of the word muggle. It was also used to refer to people who are outsiders, which again is can kind of go along the same lines. Muggles are kind of outsiders to the wizarding world. And then one more was, I guess, geomuggle, which refers to geocaching. Anyway, there's a ton of, all throughout history, the, the muggle, that word has altered in meaning, meaning all sorts of, I think my the funniest one, I think, is the one that people use marijuana. Those dang muggles. I might, I might start using that. <laughs> if I see a like, group of people smoking weed, I'd be like, oh, oh, a couple of muggles over there. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. I just wanted to, again, kind of know the origin of that word. Don't know exactly why JK chose that word, but she did. And now it's sort of taken on a, a life of its own, if you will. Another thing I wanted to cover too is, you know who, who we know he's referring to Lord Voldemort, which they're afraid to say his name because I believe, I should have looked this up. Next podcast, look this up. This literally, this thought just came to my mind. Was I th I'm pretty sure it's because back when Voldemort was in power, if you said his name, then I think he, he had some sort of spell cast on it where he could then locate you. And so it was actually you. You didn't use his name because he could actually use it as a way to locate you, and that's obviously scary. You do not want Lord Voldemort coming now i need to double check that and figure out and i will i'll definitely bring that on to the next pod that answer to that question i'm pretty sure that's what it was though which makes total sense why people would be afraid to use the name and why you'd have to use some other name for lord voldemort because then if he could literally find you when you say the word that would not be 
safe for you at that time since he was so powerful and causing a lot of mayhem. So it's, it's really not surprising that a lot of people still refer to it as you-know-who because they're probably still kind of scared or grew up in a culture where that was the norm. And it's hard to, you know, typically whatever culture. A great example of this is uh, I have a, a good amount of friends who, you know, we still have our grandmas are still alive and everything. And, and almost all of our grandparents all can just sit for hours and watch the news. And we're just, how do you, you know, because we at our culture, we have so many more other ways to sort of get news and sort of the news in itself is sort of who watches the news, you know, but the generation of that kind of baby boomer generation of our grandparents, that was sort of, you know, the news was actually used to be, used to be actually really good and really solid journalism. Now it's sort of just more clickbait and get views and, and use fear to get more views basically. But Back when they were growing up, the culture was you watch the news. That's how you got your news, the paper and the news. And that's that's it. Now, of course, we have so many more mediums with the Internet of getting news in different places. So it mind boggles us. Why are my grandparents spending three hours a day or more all watching the news? And all of our grandparents are all doing the same thing. And it's just such a cultural thing they grew up in. And so it's kind of funny just to think about that. And so we obviously... You know, them growing up in the culture of the you-know-who, it would definitely be hard to break that habit. You know, obviously Harry starts referring to Lord Voldemort by his name and everyone winces and says, don't use his name. You know, so obviously that's just so inbred in that culture to not use his name based on, you know, almost it's almost a survival mechanism. It's almost as if, you know, birds sometimes will, the size of their beak will over time change based on their environment and what food they have access to. And obviously, you know, if they're in a, in a place where food is hard to get, where they need a bigger beak, then kind of natural selection takes place. And over time they grow bigger beaks in order to survive. So in kind of a way, I feel like the people of this culture are that's sort of a, a survival mechanism that they've just developed as sort of a natural selection to, you know, not get killed by Voldemort by saying his name. So you would just say that. So it's, it's weird, you know, obviously we'll see Harry kind of try to break that, but it's definitely very ingrained in that culture. And another thing that I thought about, and I personally think Lord Voldemort is the most interesting character in all of Harry Potter, because you just wonder why you wonder, you know, what, what happened in his life. And you kind of learn about that as a series progresses, you know, obviously he was an orphan and. And that's obviously not a great start for any kid, but it's just crazy. You know, what could have changed in his life? What could have, you know, when can someone, it's the same, same thing people probably think about when they think of Hitler, right? You know, where in his life could someone have intervened in order to stop him from doing the evil that he did? And so people who do these things obviously fascinate me and Voldemort fascinates me so much just because you're like, how, you know, how did he develop this power? Where did it come from? you know, ancestry wise, where did it come from? And then what went wrong in his life to where he felt he needed to, to take this kind of power and control and, you know, show I'd, I'd highly recommend if you're someone like me who really is interested in that sort of thing as a mind hunter on Netflix. And it's a great show where a couple of characters back in the eighties, back when sort of the study of psychology is not a very well respected course of study are trying to convince all these, you know, cops and people who have done things a certain way and kind of just believe people are evil or good and there's no in between are kind of trying to make this argument of like, Hey, let's take a look at these people's backgrounds and see what they went through 
Uh, not that it justifies their actions, but maybe we can develop some empathy for why they did it. And we can also develop sort of patterns of being able to recognize when this happens again to somebody we know kind of where to look because people who have gone through these certain kinds of things typically are the ones who will commit these sort of heinous crimes. And so they end up going and interviewing all the worst, you know, most mass murderers, rapists. They just interview them and just pick their brain. They're not in it to try to bust them on anything because these people are already in prison. They're just picking their brain. You know, how did you grow up? What was your, what was your relationship with your parents like? friends at school were you bullied were you molested were you you know they just want to know all this all the stuff that made that person eventually get to a point where they committed this heinous crime and i personally find that absolutely fascinating and that's why i love the show mindhunter great show but that's i, I think that's why i like lord voldemort he's so much he's so interesting i don't obviously like what he does um, but obviously he's just an interesting character in that regard because he is essentially a mass murderer i mean that's what he is he kills hundreds thousands of people who knows how many people he killed during his his reign but it was it was a lot and so you wonder what effect that uh has on your soul you know what what goes into the mind of somebody if you've killed a bunch of people what does that person think about on a regular basis you know how many demons is that person carrying just just crazy to think about what what life would be like in the mind of somebody like that all right moving on to page six so obviously, Mr. Dursley, he goes into the house. He's still not determined to talk to Petunia about anything. And Mrs. Dursley tells him about her day. She had a nice, normal day. She, you know, gossips about the neighbor and her neighbors having problems with her daughter. You know, typical gossip, her kind of spying on the neighbors. Apparently, Dudley learned a new word, won't, which they're all happy and excited about, which as a parent, I would not be happy or excited about my child's discovery of that word. But this is the Dursleys. They operate on a whole different wavelength here. So Dudley's still worried, though. Or sorry, Dursley, Mr. Dursley's still worried. So when Dudley goes to bed, he you know starts watching the news, and there's a news report that there's you know bird watchers everywhere have reported that they're just spotting all these owls everywhere, and we know that owls are the main way that in the Wizarding world you send letters. I don't understand why knowing that they have access to email at that time, why they would bother with owls. I mean, I get it's kind of a fun, I feel like it's kind of a plot hole in a way. It's sort of those fun, this is just how they do it in the wizarding world. But honestly, if I need to get information to someone that's important, I would just email them (laughs) and they'd get it instantly as opposed to this, you know, having to wait days and days for a response from uh, an owl that could be, I mean, could be shot out of the sky or could die on the way, not even make it. So kind of a plot hole in a way that you would, that especially when, you know, throughout the series, they're trying to get key information to each other. You know, why an email wouldn't suffice a little bit more practical, but this is the wizarding world and that's how things are done. So we just, we just roll with it. It's kind of fun. So obviously they're talking about these experts or, you know, trying to explain how these owls have suddenly changed their sleeping patterns and their nesting patterns and uh it's most mysterious and uh so i just thought you know how how do you become a bird watcher that was my first thought when i read it i'm like huh how do you become a bird so of course i went on wiki wiki how where you can basically learn to do anything and i looked up all the steps on what it takes to become a bird watcher (laughs) 
And I will say that as someone who, you know, I don't love to hike. I like hiking. It's enjoyable. I don't love to do it that often. But I did think that, you know, I do get a little bored on hikes. It's not going to lie. But if I was bird watching on a hike, I feel like that might actually make it kind of more interesting for me. Because it would add an element of your, you know, you're kind of searching for birds, not hunting them, but you're kind of searching. So you kind of have to have a hunter's mentality and, you know, go around quietly. And then you got to kind of wait and be patient and find birds. And you got to look at them with your, with your nice binoculars and then observe them. And then you're supposed to notice from the beak down different features of them. So you can kind of write out in your book, the features of the bird, and then you have a, a field guide. So you can look and see what kind of bird that was. And so, you know, it kind of sounds at first I was like, okay, that's so, so dumb bird watching, whatever. But you know, I thought about it more and shoot, you know, I might consider doing that in the future on a hike. Cause I kind of get bored on hikes to be honest, unless I'm with a good group of people and we can chat and stuff or unless the sites are just incredible. And so, you know, it would give me, it'd be, you know, you could do a hike, but there's a little bit more task oriented, which is what I would like where, okay, I'm searching for these birds. I got to find like, you know, this type of bird and that type of bird. And I got to, you know, go find them and observe them. That that has some merit. I feel like that could be kind of a fun thing. So I read through how to do it and I'm a little bit more knowledgeable of that now and, and open to, doing some bird watching. I wouldn't mind. So if anyone out here, if any of you out here does bird watching, maybe I can bring on the pod. We can do a bird watching pod or you can take me bird watching. Cause I would, I would definitely be kind of interested in it. It'd be better than just walking through a hike, which again, I'm just, I'll do it, but I'm not, it's not, it's not my favorite thing. I like my mind to be a little bit more active, I suppose. But now let me get to, let me, well, let me finish off this page here. And then I want to get to the exciting news that I have for you as Harry Potter fans. So apparently these news reporters are also reporting that there's been shooting stars everywhere, which I, I, I'm pretty sure means obviously not actual shooting stars, but just all the wizards and witches are basically doing a bunch of magic in the sky. They're doing all their crazy, you know, crazy firework stuff. So which the muggles have confused for shooting stars. And so maybe there's sort of a, an underlying theme there where anytime, you know, we see a shooting star, we're like the muggle and some magician has just cast a spell or something. I don't know that for sure. It's just kind of what I thought of if they are getting confused thinking these are shooting stars. And maybe that's sort of the premise she's saying is whenever you see a shooting star, it's sort of, Oh, that's a magician casting a spell. So of course, Mr. Dursley does not like this news and he's frozen in his armchair looking at this and he's just confused. And he keeps thinking about a whisper a whisper about the Potters. And that is the end of page six. So we'll find out a little bit more what happens to Mr. Dursley, whether or not he finds out about Harry on the next couple of pages. Look, the exciting news I found was, you know, I've, I've been using this site, sort of Harry Potter fandom, to get this kind of extra context and extra information. I, my thought was, who writes this stuff? Who gets to decide what's on this website? And so I kind of went down this rabbit hole and it turns out guys, there is tons and I mean tons of fan Harry Potter fan fiction out there. And I don't know why I didn't think this was a thing, but I'm absolutely juiced because I love the Harry Potter books and the fact that there's a ton of material out there of people who've written about the world and like there's endless material to read now. Now, it might not be as good as JK's writing, but apparently there's some pretty good ones out there. And 
Apparently, a couple websites I have for you. So there's fanfiction.net, which you can find Harry Potter, you know, people written by Harry Potter. Archiveofourown.com, I believe. And then harrypotterfanfiction.com are three websites that I found. And so I will definitely be reading some fanfiction here pretty soon just to get, you know, my Harry Potter hit, as you will, because I love reading about that world. There's also apparently a couple podcasts, which I'm going to check out, MuggleCast and PotterCast. So I'm definitely going to check those out and see what those are all about. But I'm pumped because, and here's a little thing you probably didn't know. So I was bored the other day, and I was like, man, I want to write my own Harry Potter story. And I started writing one, and I'm actually seven chapters into a story that that I've written. And it's from the perspective of a Death Eater during Voldemort's reign. And I always thought it'd be fun to hear, you know, we always hear about things from the wizarding sides, but we never really get what it was like to be a, a, I'm blanking on the name all of a sudden, but you know, one of Voldemort's followers, a Death Eater, right? What was it like to, to live that life? Was it, were you scared constantly because Voldemort could just kill you at any time? Was it enjoyable? Did you have a, did some have some consciences? I assume there was a mix where some of the Death Eaters had a conscience, which is why some of them ended up switching over to the other side or ended up sort of, you know, bailing on Voldemort and, you know, for, and sometimes for their own safety, you know, giving up names. And so there obviously is like a mix of consciousnesses within this Death Eater mix, you know, who's really into Voldemort, who's kind of just there because maybe they like the power, uh, who's there because, you know, maybe they're forced to because they maybe they uh, their family members involved, so they kind of have to be involved or else they'll get killed. You know, it's such a mix of people. I wanted to write a story about what it was like from someone within that realm who Voldemort trusted. And so I, I developed a character, a Death Eater, who is sort of trusted by Voldemort, but he's sort of a he's not really fully sold on Voldemort. Like you can tell there is a bit of a conscious with him where he, he's doing these things for Voldemort, but it's, it's more out of this. He didn't really have a good father figure growing up and he, and he wants to sort of appease Voldemort. So he's sort of not, not doing it because he really believes in the evil that Voldemort's doing, but he's more, wants to impress Voldemort. He wants his affection from Voldemort. That means something to him. And so he kind of gets caught up and becoming a Death Eater, caught up in this man who he admires, um, you know, with Tom Riddle, and he is doing all these evil things, and he's questioning it in his mind sometimes, but then also still wanting that affection from Voldemort, and not willing to sort of give that up, and so he's kind of going through this sort of character struggle in his mind, where he's, you know, having to kill people and do things, and you know, I'm not going to give away the story here, but you know, anything can happen as far as what what this guy ends up doing. So I, in the future, I might actually do as part of my podcast series, actually read off maybe a chapter at a time or a few uh, paragraphs at a time. So, you know, I can kind of slowly release it to you guys and kind of read it to you. So I love reading uh, books out loud. So I'd love to be able to read to you guys, read to you my own very own fan fiction story that I've written about my character who is close to Voldemort. So that's something I'll be considering in future podcasts, but That's all I have for you today. I will definitely be back with pages seven and eight. I'm kind of doing two pages now just because there's a little bit more material to cover on two pages as opposed to one. So it gives me a little bit more things to to look into. So I hope you enjoyed. Hope you got some value. Hope you got some, some entertainment value, learning more about Harry Potter. It's a great 
story series is just so interesting the world that's been created from it and i'm excited to continue to venture on with it with you guys so thank you for listening thank you for supporting and i will see you guys on the next pod